Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshark. Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm your host, Jana Cook, and Bookshark's community manager. In today, homeschooling can feel daunting, and sometimes it can make you feel alone. But I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. And my guest today, Carol Simpson, is familiar with homeschooling in an area where you might think wrongly that you homeschool all by yourself. She has been in Alaska for over 40 years, and she is part of a community that she, which is to support homeschool families in this area where, again, even when she went, she felt like maybe there wasn't anybody who was doing this. And like many of the parents coming into homeschooling today, there is a misconception that you're going to be by yourself. So we're going to be talking today how you can find support in your homeschool, you can find community or create your own community, and you're just going to listen to Carol and her journey of homeschool. So, Carol, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Jonah. First of all, my own experience, Alaska. It feels like a foreign country to most of us who are down here in the lower 48, and it still touts as the final front or the last frontier. When thinking about homeschooling in Alaska, I always thought it was a very remote and disconnected community, but you have um, educated me in the last year of how that is incorrect. Before we jump into all of that, why don't you just tell our families how you got connected to not only the state of Alaska, but to the IDEA, which is your um, school district that you help run there? Ah, well, I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. My husband grew up in California. We met waiting tables in Yellowstone. And that first summer when we met my husband, we're living in Yellowstone and my uh, husband, who I wasn't even dating at the time, but we were talking about it. He said, um, someday I want to go live in Homer, Alaska. It's the prettiest place I've ever seen. And we were in Yellowstone. I thought, how can that be? You know, but I told him right away, I said, you have the wrong girl. I had no interest in going to Alaska. I'd never even looked at a map of Alaska, never considered the possibility so um, then we got married. We lived in Montana for a few years. We were ready to move on from the job we were doing in Montana. I prayed and prayed for an open door anywhere but Alaska. And um, we had an open door in Alaska, but not anywhere else. So I resignedly got in the car and we drove up the Alcan. And um, that was 1984. And I, we had two children at the time and had five more living here. And all of my kids now are adults and have most of them have children of their own. And they all live in Alaska. One lives in Anchorage and the rest all live in our small town. And so I love the fact that they grew up in this small town. And some of them have lived other places, even other countries, and have come back because they love the community here and love the the idea of raising their children in this small town in Alaska. It's a and testament that, to the community that you have created, not only with your family, but in your town that your children could see the world and always want to come back. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
So then um, when I moved here, my oldest was four, didn't do any formal education that year. And so really dove in when he was first grade age. He's 43 now. And um, and during that time period, there was um, other homeschoolers in the town that I lived in. And sometimes I would get together with them. But, you know, when you're homeschooling, in some ways, it doesn't matter where you live or how many homeschoolers you know, you still feel alone at times. And you still feel like, you know, what you're struggling through, it's not always a struggle, but but you're overall, you're struggling through each developmental stage with your kids and trying to figure out like, I mean, it's just an extension of parenting, you know, you're just trying to figure out what's best for this kid in this moment. And when you're homeschooling, that just adds another layer onto that. It doesn't make it more complicated, but it adds another layer of trying to figure out what curriculum is best for them and what teaching style is best for them. And okay, they're really stuck on this. How do I get them past this? And you just kind of assume that, the professionals have those kinds of answers. They don't, by the way, but <laughs> you think they do. And sometimes I have gone to uh, the professionals and gotten input and gotten advice. I had one kid that had learning problems, and I eventually took him to the public school nearby and did some testing. And um, and they were really helpful with that and gave me some really good advice. And then at the end of that, they said, okay, well, here's your choices. You know, you can enroll them with us and that would be our recommendation or you can keep homeschooling and bring them here for an hour a day for special ed and we'll be happy to help them get over the hump on a few things or you can just keep homeschooling and just call us if you have questions and we'll be happy to answer your questions. And so I did take them in for special ed for an hour a day and that was a great experience. And uh, it was at the same time, um, he was my third child, but I was homeschooling, I think it was homeschooling six kids at that time, or I had six kids at home. Two of them were preschoolers and, uh, four kids I was homeschooling and we were building a house. And so it was kind of a combination of all that where I was like, okay, I need some input from somebody else to help him get past some things that he was stuck on. So that worked really well for me and they were very honoring uh, surprisingly so, of my own um, role in the homeschooling journey. Anyway, um, so we uh, there. I did know some other homeschoolers, and there was a homeschool support group. And I can't quite remember now what happened with that. Why the other person wasn't going to lead it anymore? But I led that for years and wrote the newsletter for that group and. Um, that's how it came about that when the school district that I work for, so I work for a homeschool support program that's operated by a public school district. And they, somebody who uh, went to their first introductory meeting reached out to me because I was the support group leader in Homer and said, hey, I just found out about this great new statewide program. Do you want some information? And I thought, no, I want... <laughs> I have no interest in any school district telling me what to do with my kids. But I thought, well, I do lead this group. I do write the newsletter. If anybody in my group is stupid enough to affiliate with a school district, then I should probably get the information. So I called and got a lot of information and realized, oh, what these people have in mind is completely different than 
the standard, you get involved with the school and it's school in a box and they tell you what to do and they grade all the materials and all that kind of thing. And so um, they weren't doing that. They were letting people use any curriculum they want. And the parents were doing the grading and um, all that kind of thing. And so I um, asked for a job. My husband goes, you should ask them for a job. And I'm like, honey, that's dumb. They don't need somebody way off in Homer. They're the main office, our business office is in Fairbanks, which is about 800 miles or so from my house. And um, I'd never been to Fairbanks. And I thought, this is ridiculous. They don't need somebody way off in this small town where I live. But they did hire me. And so I got to help create this program, which was great fun. And uh, one of our mottos that I came up with actually is um, created by homeschoolers for homeschoolers. Because one of the things I love most about this program I work for is that the first thing they did was say, you know what, we're public school educators. We haven't worked with a lot of homeschoolers before. We don't know a lot about homeschooling. And they hired me and another experienced homeschooler to be on staff, to advise them, to direct the course of the program, to help come up with the policies and procedures that we still follow today. So it's really true that at the heart of the program was always homeschoolers. I think a lot of families would be surprised to know that programs like yours exist all over the United States. Just like your initial reaction of, I don't want to get involved with the public school system if I'm choosing to homeschool, they have, I mean, obviously there's really good programs like yours and then like anything, there's probably not so great programs like other places and depending on your state, but that's exactly how I came into homeschooling my children. Unlike you, I never wanted to homeschool my kids, even though I was homeschooled. That's a whole other podcast. But when I was introduced to this program that our district offered, that then they offered Bookshark as one of the curriculum, that's how I got involved. And now I tell everybody, I wish I had known about this curriculum when I was homeschooling because it I would have loved it. I mean, I just, I loved homeschooling anyways, but this would have just made it even more amazing. And had I not had that introduction through a home curriculum through the public school district, I wouldn't have known about it. So I think that people are surprised when they find out like, oh, you homeschool, but it's through your school district. And again, depending on your state, that can look very different. So definitely you have to do your research and your due diligence. But like you, I've had such a positive experience and it, it was ran by parents who homeschooled, who then started to work for the district. And so it is at the heart of it, true homeschool, because they know what that the parents want to remain autonomous and yet still have support. And that's one of the amazing things that, especially Mm -hmm. this next generation of homeschool families coming in, who maybe like myself, never thought they would homeschool. Now there's this support, if you choose to take it, that they can come alongside you and really help and not hinder. And, you know, there are families who start off with it and then they end up going off on their own and they want to do their own thing. But it can be so overwhelming to think Mm -hmm. about the very beginnings of how am I going to do this and what am I going to do for this? So having some veteran people who are there to support you really does set you up for success when homeschooling. Yeah, I agree completely. And I also, like, I loved homeschooling on my own. I, 
Um, I loved school growing up. I grew up going to private schools, got a really great education, love learning. That's the best thing about homeschooling is all the stuff you get to learn when you're teaching your kids. But also, so I felt very confident, very capable, very excited about learning along with my kids. But also, um, there's, there's just times where you have questions and where you wish you had some better resources. And I think that in some ways, um, it's both easier and harder to homeschool now than it was when I started in 19 something, 86, I guess. Um, because back then there weren't as many choices of good curricular materials that you could use at home. There were a lot of things designed for schools that you could get, but there wasn't much designed specifically for homeschooling and adapting school materials is complicated and expensive because you have to buy like the student book and this very expensive teacher manual. And then you have to figure out how to adapt all the class materials to a one-on-one teaching situation. And uh, I never really used textbooks um, hardly at all. I used them for math and I used them for science in high school. But other than that, I, well, I never had any money either until I, until idea came along, but I um, homeschooled with library books and things I bought used and things I borrowed and, you know, did math concepts with stuff around the house and made my own little bingo boards for things and flashcards for things and card games and stuff, you know, out of laminated paper and markers and things like that. So, um, but now there's so many things out there for homeschooling parents. There's so many choices that it can be mind boggling too, you know? So it's, it's a rags to riches thing kind of. And the, the good thing is that there's so many options and the bad thing is that there's so many options. So it makes it a little harder to figure out what might be a good fit for your family, which is one of the things I love in my job when I get to talk to parents that are just starting homeschooling is asking them questions about their kids and them and their, their, homes their their home environment you know like i was saying about that one year you know if if you're building a house and you've got toddlers or you know you've got a two-year-old and you're nursing and your husband is works 12-hour days or something you you're going to use different kinds of materials than you are if all you have is a six-year-old and an eight-year-old or whatever you know or you have some teenagers to help you around the house or whatever like that and or people going through medical things or whatever you know it changed from year to year I mean some year I was very very eclectic very um when Bookshark was created I was well along in my homeschool journey and I didn't use Bookshark because that was how I homeschooled I used library books and I I structured things around a history model and I read biographies and historical fiction and nonfiction books and tried to bring in and we would just get books from the library about science. Oh, look, here's a good book about electricity. Let's learn about electricity like that. And um, then uh, I was just getting busier and busier with work and thought, you know what, I might like sunlight or something like that, where it's somebody has done some of that planning for me. Somebody has put the effort into curating books that go well together. And frankly, I was trying to decide between, uh, at that time, my options that I was aware of was Beautiful Feet and Sunlight for that kind of thing. So I picked a time period. 
I brought the list of books. I went to the library. I spent hours at the library one day and I went and I, I looked up every book. This is, I'm a little OCD. So <laughs> I looked up every book that Beautiful Feet was doing and that Sunlight was doing in that time period. And I had a, a big stack of books on one side and a bigger stack on the other side. And then I sat in this chair and I flipped through all the books and I was hoping that I was going to love one of the piles of books and not so much the other pile of books. And unfortunately I found way too many books I wanted to read. And uh, in the end I was like, okay, I just need to pick one. (laughs) And I picked sunlight and I did sunlight all the way through with my youngest who's now 24, but we love it. There is, there is this idea that I'm not the type of personality that wants to spend hours in the library. They're just <laughs> in my day. I, I love, love the it. library and I love to read. I would much rather spend hours reading, not doing yeah. the research part of it. So right. when we talk about an all-in-one curriculum, a box curriculum, that's one of the perks is that there has been a team over right. the years that is constantly updating and improving this list of books that is going to give you a great overview of history or when in specific time periods. And so there's no right or wrong with homeschool. And that is the exciting part, but also the daunting part, right? So if I know my personality, I'm like, listen, I'm not, if someone else has done it, I'm going to let somebody else do it. And if I don't agree with it or I don't like something in it, I can, I'm sharp enough to go ahead and switch it out with something if I need to. I haven't had to, and I'm so grateful because <laughs> I appreciate that it's already done for me. But one of the things with uh, literature-based programs is that there's a lot of reading, I hate to read aloud. I love to read and I love to talk about what I've read, but to sit down and read with my kids is not something that like I know I'm a horrible homeschool mom because I'm saying this out loud, but like, I don't like to read aloud. Audiobooks, they're amazing. I get to enjoy it. My kids get to enjoy it. We're still together. We can still talk about it, but I get to take off my plate something that just doesn't really bring me that much joy. And so it's those little tweaks. It's those little personalizations that you can do with whatever you're doing in your homeschool that makes it so much more enjoyable or it should. And I think some parents don't know the freedom there is even within a curriculum that they choose. And they they kind of like, oh, maybe that's why they don't complete it for a full year right. or they're, they have dissatisfaction is because, well, the curriculum didn't say I could go get an audio book, but we're here giving you permission. Get the audio book. Sometimes we watch the movie and we didn't read the book. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's yeah, so many ways that, that you can go about it that it really can fit anyone, anyone's lifestyle, anyone's preferences. When you have like, I like a good outline and then let me fill in the blanks. The joke when was that our box of books would come and we'd be all excited to pull out because we love my whole family. We love books. So we pull out this, all these books and flip through them. And every year there's always at least one in the box where I'm like, oh my gosh, I've heard about this book for years. People tell me it's really good. I have no interest in reading it. It just sounds so boring. And frankly, often the reason is because I don't like the cover art. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but nonetheless, (laughs) I would do that. But we do. We do. Yep. The first year it was Mr. Popper's Penguins, and I was like, I hate this art. I don't want to read this book. It sounds so stupid to me. And then we read it, and oh my gosh, I just loved it. And uh, we were laughing and laughing, and the big kids are upstairs like doing algebra or something. I have a gap between my youngest and the and a, and a couple of kids, and then a little more gap and the rest of the kids. And so 
the kids that were six and eight years older than him would hear me start to read and they would be off doing their algebra or whatever. And they'd be like, wait, 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 let me finish this problem so I can come down and listen to the book and stuff. So we all listened to it together and loved it. And so every year that was like the joke. Okay, what's the book you don't want to read this year? And and I would always say, okay, I'll try it. I'll read like the first three chapters maybe. And then if I don't want to read it, I'm out of here. And, and over the years, I think maybe twice in all those years, he was reading a book and he, and he came to me and said, I just really don't like this book. Do you mind if I just don't read it? And, uh, and I was like, fine don't read it. You know, we've got plenty of other things we're doing. And, and there were maybe five through the years that I started and was like, Oh my gosh, this is just putting me to sleep. Do you want to finish reading it or should we skip it? And pretty often he would just finish reading it because he enjoyed it, you know, but I love reading aloud. So I'm clearly a better homeschooler than you are. Obviously. <laughs> apparently. It's, it's so apparent. That's one of the Carol. rules. <laughs> That's right. So, I get so, an F. When one of my kids was uh, married, living in Hawaii, they had their first baby. I'd only, uh, he had met his wife uh, living in Hawaii, actually. And so I had only like seen her over Zoom and I had been to their wedding. That was the only time I was with her in person. And so now they're having their first baby and they wanted me to come. And Drew said, Sarah loves history. Could you please pick a book that you really like and read to us? Because I want her to have that experience of you reading aloud to us. So I brought a book to Hawaii and read out loud to them because he so enjoyed the, the reading out loud. Hey guys, it's Jana with a big tip. Would you like to try out the Bookshark way of learning at zero cost? Well, you can with our free unit studies. To add to our collection, we now have a two-week literature-based study on sharks. Yes, sharks. Perfect, right? Visit bookshark.com slash freebies to get your sharks unit study. The book we chose for this unit is amazing. Your kids are going to love it because it's filled with great photographs of different types of sharks, cool diagrams, and so many fascinating facts. For example, did you know that sharks never blink their eyes? Did you know that sharks have pores called ampullae of Lorenzini that allow them to detect electricity? Did you know that a thresher shark stuns its prey by smacking it with its long tail? If you're a Kindle Unlimited user, there's great news. The book we use for this unit study is free on Kindle Unlimited. Otherwise, purchase a copy or borrow it from your library. Visit bookshark.com slash freebies to get your free Sharks Unit study today. I have a great homeschool hack related to reading out loud to your kids. Can I throw Give that in Give it to here? me. Yes. Okay. See, here's what you missed out on by not enjoying the reading aloud to your kids. What I did, so I had seven kids, you know, so you know what that means. That means my house was a mess all the time. So <clears throat> I have, and I also, I, I had um, an adult friend that was a teacher of mine who had seven kids This to uh, date myself. This was when I was young and her husband was off in Vietnam for the Vietnam War. 
And so she, her, she, she had seven kids. Her oldest was 14. Her youngest was five and she was working full time. And um, she had all of her kids doing the housework. And so I learned from that, that to have all my kids do the housework. And so I have done that over the years. And um, sadly, they're all out of the house now and I have to do some of it. But but they really did do everything. I made the meals and we did our own laundry, but my kids start doing their laundry when they're seven and they do everything. They do the dishes, they do the sweeping, they do the vacuuming, they clean the bathrooms, all that stuff. And so that's when I would read aloud. We, I would walk around the house reading out loud while a kid's, I'd be in the bathroom doorway while a kid's cleaning the bathroom and I'd move over to the entryway while they're cleaning out the litter box and sweeping out the entryway or I'd stand there while they're washing the dishes or whatever. So it was two birds with one stone. They, it's, it's sort of like listening to an audio book for them. I'm not falling asleep because we're just sitting still on the couch in the sun, which is sweet and wonderful, but makes me go to sleep sometimes or want to go to sleep, you know? And, um, and I don't feel like, oh my gosh, I have so many other things to do and I'm spending all this time reading out loud and I get to experience the books together with them, which, you know, that's what creates depths of relationship is shared experiences. And it's one more experience that you're sharing with your child to walk through these books together, whether you're listening to an audio book together or reading a book out loud together. But um, I strongly advise people, if you don't have your kids doing your housework, train them to do it. Your, their wives will thank you or their husbands will appreciate you, whatever. But um, And they'll appreciate you as they get older, that they know how to do this stuff. And there's no reason for you to be doing it. And you can read at the same time. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I also think that um, for parents that we also don't have to feel like we have to do it all. We can, right. in, we can invite our children to help us with age appropriate chores because let's be honest, we can't do it all. And so if these things need to get done, you have these, you know, not only are you instilling in them these great qualities for later on, but they're also helping you be a better parent because you're not exhausted. And I don't know about anybody else, but sometimes I can get very angry when I'm the one doing everything or it, it bothers right. me, but it doesn't bother anybody else. And then I don't, I don't want to be an angry parent. Like I want to be, I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy my kids. But I will say that my mom read to my brother and I as children, mm -hmm. even up into our teen years during the summer, we would yeah. swim in the pool and then we'd have a break and she would have a book that she would read to us. And so I definitely attribute my love of reading to my mom's reading out loud to us. And so right. I wanted to right. make sure I passed that on to my children. And now my teenagers are constantly, they go to the bookstore with their friends. They're buying each other books. Like I'm so excited that we right. keep this, we keep this going, this idea of reading and critical <clears throat> thinking and having these types of activities that are not antiquated, that are very important, even though we right. have all the other things, um, we still need to be instilling in our kids the love of learning. And that comes through the love of reading. So one right. thing I would love for you to just touch on briefly, if you can think of something, you know, we talked about like where you're at and it's not as remote as far as community is most people would think it is remote as far as like you and I were discussing earlier, there's no roads that connect everything to Alaska. Right. So in, in that fact, but are there specific challenges that you have seen in your families that homeschool that 
maybe they kind of feel like, oh, it's just because we're we're in this area, but really do kind of probably affect a lot of homeschool families. Right. Well, I think mostly, I don't really think there's challenges that are unique to Alaska from a homeschooling perspective. Um, maybe getting things here on time. Obviously, we have less stores. We can't just run out and buy things. Even where I live, I'm on the road system and I can get to Anchorage, which is the biggest city in Alaska. Half the population of the state lives in Anchorage or near Anchorage, but it's five hours away. So I don't run out to Walmart very frequently. The nearest Walmart's, uh, well, I guess that's not five hours away. Anyway, it's two hours away. But um, so there's that. You have to plan ahead a little bit more. But really the most important thing, I think, is relationship and making community and having people that you can be honest with and that you can go to. You know, even when uh, when I ran the homeschool group when and when IDEA first started, IDEA does provide community in a lot of ways. And frankly, there aren't as many support groups as there were before IDEA came along. Um, there are other programs like IDEA, but IDEA is the biggest school in the state. We've got about 7,000 students and, and there's about 10,000 homeschooling families in the state. Um, but in any case, the so, so we, we make a concerted effort to bring homeschoolers together and to provide community for homeschoolers. But before that, when IDEA was first starting and people were leery of state-run programs, uh, justifiably so, I think you should do your research before you get involved in a statewide program or whatever, a public school um, support program. But in any case, um, that I used to tell people all the time, you should get involved in your local homeschool support group. Even if you think, you know, even if you're an introvert and you think, I don't really want to be around people. I don't really want to devote that kind of time to go into these meetings. I, or I'm struggling with these things. I don't want to, you know, you, you look, well, what I tell them is that here's why you should go to a homeschool support group. Even if all you do is go to the meeting and sit there and listen and leave. You should go because everybody's view in life as, as a mother, as a sister, as a friend, as a parent, as a, a church member, whatever, everybody's view is that other people have it more together than we do. We all think that. We all know our failures and we we see the external of somebody else and you're struggling with getting your kids to get out of bed in the morning to do anything you're telling them to do to homeschool. And then you go to the grocery store and you see your friend with their four homeschooling kids who are all dressed alike and they're all polite and they all say yes ma'am and no ma'am and and they help each other and you think oh my gosh I'm such a failure but you're seeing them just in this isolated moment and you need to go to the support group meeting so that you can see that same mom saying these two kids just keep fighting I cannot get them to stop fighting or I cannot get Johnny to do his math it doesn't matter what I do I've tried four different math programs he will not do his math. You know, what, what kind of advice do you have for me? And so just even if all you get out of it is that realization of, oh, we're all struggling and we're all doing the best we can. You need to know that. Everybody needs to know that. And then another thing I thought about 
which is associated with that actually when we were talking about kids doing the chores and stuff, particularly when you were talking, Jenna, about the value of them contributing to the household. Kids, it's important for everybody to feel like they're contributing something and that they're of value and that they're not just, you know, lots of times I'm trying to think of little tasks. Okay, I can have the kid help carry the groceries because that will help me that's probably not the best example because that is an actual help. I can't think of one right now, but I sometimes I would give them kind of busy work sort of stuff to give them something to do so that it looks like they're helping me, but really it didn't matter much if they did that or not. And they know that too, you know, they really need to, it, it's, it's for their best future and for their best um, emotional health for their best view of themselves if you give them things to do that are actual jobs and there are actual help to you and that might be actually hard for them and you might have to go around behind them and clean it up a little bit or you might have to do it with them you definitely have to do it with them for a while and teach them how to do it right quote unquote you know and um but everybody needs to feel like they're contributing to something and that they have something of value to offer. And I've, I've often lamented that I think that's something that we've kind of lost in our culture these days. You know, when you read little house on the prairie and that kind of stuff, you know, when people were living on farms and they all had to get up at sundown and work and everybody had to work or that family was not going to eat, you know, I mean, their contributions were really valuable. And so it's kind of hard to manufacture those in our society today, but I think it's really important side note from homeschooling, but <laughs> I do think it's well, important. I think, I think as parents too, I mean, for me personally, I have had to maybe relax on my expectations. If I am yes. going to bring, invite my children in to help contribute, it's not going to be done like I would like it to be done. And I either have to be okay with that or I have to then go behind them and know that I'm going to have to do, you know, a, a little bit of cleanup behind that. So I think sometimes parents hear that and they're like, oh, they don't do it like I want. So you have a choice, right? I would rather my bathroom get clean and maybe it's not to my specifications or my liking, right. but at least the work was done. And if I need to go behind it and spot check it, that's one thing. Or I, I honestly, I've lowered my expectations and I just, it right. is what it is. It got clean. So. And I think that's you know. more important because if you're always going around and tidying up the stuff they did, then that just undermine that goes back to undermining their value in the family. So it is important to lower your expectations. So yeah. For I think that another up. thing that you had mentioned that I also think is incredibly important about community is that we are so capable in our society as adults to be able to do these things on our own. What we are devaluing is showing our children we didn't get mm -hmm. here on our own. It, a community has helped create what we have become. But now if we're not inviting community in, we're not showing our children that they can ask for help when they need it. You know, they're not seeing the nuances of us at night, you know, either online researching something else or talking to a friend through a problem because, you know, we tend to do that when they're busy, I feel like. But if our kids can right. see us in the struggle, that gives them permission to accept their own struggle and to to get away from this idea of perfectionism. Like, oh, well, my mom did it all. You know, she just did everything. She never asked for help. I'll tell you what, they just need to come talk to my kids because I ask for help. E either I ask Google 
or I ask a friend right. or I ask family, but if we're not demonstrating community and intentionality and in relationships with people, then how are our kids ever going to learn that that is there for them as they then grow up and go out of the house and start their own families and all of these things. And so sometimes I think we are so capable in this day and age that we are devaluing vulnerability and showing that to our kids. Right. I That would be my strongest advice for any homeschooler really is find community, create community, do whatever you have to do to have some community. Again, even if you're an introvert, um, I do a lot of public things. So Jana might be surprised to find out I'm I'm an introvert primarily. And so I can get up and I could do things and people tend to think I'm an extrovert because they see me in those situations, but I'm not. I need my alone time. I would much rather be home all by myself than be out in a group full of people. And I have to kind of take a deep breath and just force myself to go sometimes to things. But um you get so much from that, you know, you, then you have friends to rely on to ask those questions of and to be vulnerable with. And also, um, you'll just hear things, you know, people will just say things that they're doing in their own homeschool, in their own home with their own families that will give you good ideas, even if you don't do what they do, it'll still trigger creative thinking on your part of, of oh, I might want to adapt something like that. And so, Find a homeschool support group if there is one in your area. Start one if there isn't one in your area. Get Make friends with the librarian. Ask the librarian if she knows of other homeschoolers in the community. She will. And... Um, or get on online groups, you know, find some listserv or find some podcast that you like to listen to or find some, uh, you know, if you're in some sort of program or even if you're buying curriculum from somewhere, the curriculum suppliers often have people on staff and that that's their job is to respond to questions. And they don't just respond to questions about their own specific curriculum. They respond to questions about homeschooling in general and about, tips for getting somebody, a kid over the hump with whatever it is that you're struggling with. And so they're a great resource, but just, you know, find people that you like to listen to that provide you with input that, that stirs your soul, that brings life to you, that is inspiring to you. And that's what's going to keep you going through the years. Go to homeschool conventions where you're around a lot of other homeschoolers and get to go to workshops and see a lot of different curriculum and talk to curriculum providers and and learn things. Yes, never stop learning. I think that as homeschool parents, we can demonstrate to our children, again, Mm -hmm. that we are learning alongside them, that although we are the authority in their life, that doesn't mean we know everything and that we are willing to learn the things that we don't know. Well, Carol, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. It has been so good to um, hear your wisdom and all of the years that you have been doing this and all of the thousands of families that you have helped through the program that you work with. I appreciate your time. I appreciate what you've contributed to the homeschool uh, community, not only in Alaska, but also to the ones who get to hear you on this podcast. And I look forward to seeing you at the next curriculum fair. Yay. Thanks. (laughs) It's been fun. Thank you guys. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. 
Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com slash podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.